Praise the Lord. You know, if any of you have a desire for a Bible college, let me just say that um, you can't, can't go wrong. There's nothing wrong with spending two or three years just sitting under the Word. And you know, even if you don't go into ministry, some people think Bible college is only for people who are going to be in ministry. But we're trying to just help prepare you. You'll make a better father, a better husband. You'll make a better... I used to pour concrete for a living. You'll be a better cement finisher. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, you'll, be, you'll do it better if you know God. And you know, the number one thing that I like to hear people say is they say, I've fallen in love with Jesus and the word has come alive to me. And if we can get you to do that, I was talking to some people today who uh, were saying that they kind of doubted sometimes and they felt like God was leading them, but they had trouble and they were saying, how do you uh, follow the Lord and step out when it, you know, you got these potential problems. And I said, it's similar to a little kid that if the dad's in the deep end and says, jump, if, if you have a good relationship with your dad, you know, he's not going to let you drown. And if he says, jump, you jump and it's no problem. And I said, any person who is afraid to step out and follow what God's telling them to do, it's because they don't understand who God is. They don't know who he is. And so if you can come to know God and know how much he loves you. I guarantee you the, the limits are taken off of you and you will begin to start seeing awesome, awesome things happen. And it doesn't matter if you're called into ministry or whatever it is you're called to. Every one of us is called into ministry. You just may not be behind a pulpit. You might be ministering to the people in your neighborhood, on your job, in your family and stuff like that. And I guarantee you, it will just transform your life. Everybody ought to go to Bible college. Amen. Amen. And you know, I have people, we ask them all the time, how many of you, if you didn't have to worry about what your wife said, if you didn't have to worry about your job and what about my retirement and what about the cold? You know, we've had people before say that, you know, I've got dogs. What am I going to do with my dogs? And we tell them that, you know what, we got dogs out here. And one of my favorite responses, most people don't like this. I say, man, if a dog's going to keep you from doing what's in your heart, just kill it. (laughs) I'm a dog lover. I'm not against animals, but I'm saying I wouldn't let a dog stand in my way. I'd turn the thing loose. I'd do whatever. You know, like our brother was saying, when he sold his boat, he cried. But man, don't let a boat stand in the way of your life being transformed. You know, if you think through, I've had people before say, but I'm, I'm homeless. I'm living on the street. I live under a bridge. I said, we got bridges out here. Come out here and live. (laughs) There is no excuse if God has put it in your heart. People say, well, if I just didn't have all of these other things, I would love to come to Bible school. And I tell them, who do you think gave you that desire? Do you think it's the devil or the flesh? that wants you to come and sit under the word four hours a day, five days a week for two or three hours. Man, if you you long to do that, that's the Holy Spirit stirring you up. And again, you don't have to come here. You can do online, you can do correspondence. We've got extension schools and stuff, but there's just no reason that we should not be pursuing the Lord. The most important thing you will ever do in your life is to get the word of God 
into your heart and renew your mind. And I guarantee you, you know, 4,000 a year is just a pittance for the difference it'll make in your life. You cannot pay for this. It is awesome. It's awesome. So anyway, I could make a whole infomercial out of our Caris Bible College, but the reason we do this is because we've seen what it does. It'll change your life. And there's, I mean, there's a money back guarantee. I've got a shirt that says, try Jesus for six months. And if you aren't satisfied, you get double your sins back. (laughs) Amen. And I'm just telling you, you ought to try CBC, take an online course or do something. And if it doesn't change your life, we'll give you all your depression back. Amen. (laughs) All of your fear and misery. Amen. Guaranteed. What a deal. Let's turn over to Proverbs chapter three. We're going to receive an offering and give you an opportunity to give. As you heard these men testify, these missions trips change people's lives. Not only the ones who get ministered to, but also the ones who go. And I couldn't tell you how many people have gone on a mission trip, didn't want to go on a mission trip, but when they got there, they're changed. They're never the same. It just changes you. It changes your perspective. And this is one of the reasons we demand that you go on a foreign missions trip because you need to get out of this culture. You know, when I went to India the first time, it's like scales fell off my eyes. And I saw that, man, why is America so blessed when the rest of the world struggles and has so many troubles? And I saw that, you know what? God has blessed this nation and it's not just so that we could consume it all on ourselves. He's blessed us to make us a blessing And it made me more convinced than ever to be, uh, you know, bold about sharing my faith and reaching out to people because it just changes things. You see things from a different direction when you go into another culture. So this is really important what we're receiving an offering for. In Proverbs chapter three, in verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Again, this is similar to what I was talking about. Many of you, if you just, if you just were free to do what was in your heart, you would come to school, you would take an online course, you would do something, but you would seek the Lord more. But we allow life and circumstances and making a living and things getting our way. But this says that you should follow your heart. You ought to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't let your head get in the way. You know, the very first director of, of Carrie's Bible College, we would go promote it. And he used to tell people all of the time, he says, when I say, how many of you would like to come to Bible college? He says, what you feel in the first three seconds is God. And what you think in the next three weeks is the flesh. <laughs> all of the reasons why it won't work. But this is saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Just follow your heart and don't lean under your own understanding. Don't try and figure out all of these things. If God has given you an impression, just do it. Uh, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. If we had time, we could tell you of, of thousands of people that came not knowing what they were going to do. I remember this one couple from South Carolina came and got here and we didn't know it, but it turned out the first three months or something, they lived in their van. They didn't even have a place to live. Nobody knew it, but man, this is what God told them to do. And it took a while, but you know what? God came through They saw their needs supplied. God met their needs and he directed their paths. They just followed what was in their heart. They didn't know what they were going to do, but God made it all work out. 
And it says, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Did you know that actually following God and following your heart will produce physical benefit in your body? I really believe we overrate health type stuff. And and there's a balance to this. I'm not saying that you just go pig out and don't take care of yourself and gain weight. You got to take care of yourself. But the scripture says a merry heart does good like a medicine. That honoring your parents will prolong your life. Spiritual, emotional things are just as important or I believe even more important than what you eat and whether or not you exercise. And most people don't have that attitude because most of us are more influenced by the world than we are by the word. But the word says right here that if you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not unto your own understanding. If you acknowledge him in all of your ways, he'll direct your paths and it will be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. It'll produce physical benefit in your life. This could save your life by coming here. We've had a lot of people that their lives have been changed. Their bodies have been healed because they followed the Lord. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. Did you know that those two verses aren't a change in thought? They're a, they're sequential. It's a follow-up on the things that he's been saying. And to the natural mind, it doesn't look right that if you need money, well, man, I can't give any money away. I need every bit of this. But this says that if you will honor the Lord with your first fruits, first fruits means first fruits, not last fruits, not leftover fruits. After you take care of yourself fruits, it's saying the very first thing you do, you give and you honor God. And if you are not giving the very best that you have, the first that you have, instead of waiting until all of your needs meet, you aren't honoring God. It's not honoring to God. Well, there's a lot in these verses, but you honor the Lord with your first fruits. And then that's when your barns are filled with plenty and your presses burst forth with new wine. If you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. And it's counterintuitive. We think, no, I've got to have this money. But I tell you what you need to do is give. When we started this building process, a friend of mine was building a building. And man, I gave him $30,000. And I said, you know what a hundredfold return on $30,000 is? Be $3 million, man. And I thought I could use that. And so I gave. And then I found other people that are giving and I started planning. When we went into television... I took Joyce Myers and we supported her, I think, with $3,000 a month for a year or two so that she could go on stuff. I sold where I want to go. I'm telling, and you know, today you're sitting in a building that is a miracle because we gave and honored the Lord and that's how God supplied the need. I'm telling you, if you have a need, you need to honor God. And one of the things I've learned is what you've got isn't enough for your need then turn it into a seed and sow it. Some of you are thinking, I don't have enough. What can I do? Well, if you don't have enough, you might as well give away what you've got because it's not going to work anyway. Amen. (laughs) Turn it into a seed and let God multiply that thing a hundred times rather than you sit there and just keep something that's not sufficient in the first place. So we're going to receive an offering tonight and I just want to encourage you to be generous and you're going to be sowing into the lives of people And it's going to make a difference in their life. If you would like an offering envelope, 
We've got ushers here that'll give you an offering envelope. This is primarily if you want to give by cash and get a receipt, but there's also a place that you can give by credit card if you desire to do that. Just hold your hand up until one of our ushers gets you an envelope. And if you're making out a check, you can make it out to Andrew Womack Ministries, or AWM, and uh, the information on your check should be sufficient to get you a receipt. Praise God. And I tell you, you are going to have a part in all of these lives that are changed. We, if we had time, we could just give you testimony after testimony. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of people's lives that have been changed because of the things that are going on here, these missions trips. And by you giving, you are helping make all that come to pass. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, let me also just say, I've talked to a number of you today who told me that you are foundation partners. That's the partnership that we called. That's what we called our partnership, the people that helped us build this building. And we had people that gave that weren't just foundation members, but they gave extra because they knew that we would need it. And I just want to say thank you for what you've done. This is so awesome. I tell you, I have been so blessed. I am so blessed by what has happened. I saw people today just sitting around and I mean, enjoying the Lord and having a great time fellowshipping with each other and doing things. And you know what? This is what I've dreamed about. This is the reason we wanted a place like this. that's kind of a retreat that people could come here and just soak up the presence of the Lord. You know, in the past, we've had that everybody's had to go to their motels in the afternoon. They sit there and wash it down by watching Oprah or whatever. I don't guess guys do that, but man, it's just awesome to see people. And there were people walking around this property and there were people visiting with each other and they were having a great time getting to know each other. I saw people praying for each other, ministering to each other and doing things. You know, when we were singing this morning and when they quit the music and the guys were just belting this out, man, that was awesome. We named this place the sanctuary. And that means a place dedicated to the glory of God. And I tell you, I just believe God is being glorified. And I specifically wanted to thank every one of you who were a partner and gave to help us do that. Because this is going to reap benefits. If the Lord tarries, as we get this second building done and stuff, I think that this campus is going to glorify God. People are going to be coming here for decades. And long after I'm gone, there's going to be people's lives right here in this room who will be changed and feeling the same presence of God. And man, what can you, what kind of value can you put on that? I'm just so thankful for all God has done. And I thank those of you who've helped us to do it. And those of you who give in the offering tonight, you're helping us to impact people. It's going to make an eternal difference in people's lives. Amen. So let's pray over this offering and then we'll receive it. Father, we love you and thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for starting the whole thing by loving us so much that you sent your son and that he died for us, that he bore our sins. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us and to give us revelation of this. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these truths, Father, and how it just changes our lives. Thank you for the way that you've worked in so many people to bring these things together. Thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for this opportunity to disciple people, to raise up people that are going to be changed and go out and change the world. 
And Father, I thank you for all of the men who are here tonight. And I believe that as they give and sow into the lives of all of these other students, that Father, they are a part of it. That they may not go themselves, but they are going to send and that they become a part of what is happening. And I believe as they sow seed into this, that it is going to come back unto them a hundred times in this life that they will prosper and that you will prosper them and that this money is not leaving any person's life. It's just entering into their future where it's going to grow and multiply and come back to them on every wave. I speak this over all of us and we just thank you and praise you in advance, Father, for the ways that these finances are going to impact people, change people's lives and affect eternity. So we thank you for that and receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You can receive the offering. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't guess we have anybody singing. I'll sing for you. No, 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 no way. I know what I'm called to do. I'm staying under the anointing. Amen. Praise God. I'm not called to do that. David, let me ask David Hardesty to come up here. He's the COO of our ministry. And you know, I was, David and I were just sitting here praising God because we've been through all of the tough times with this. I remember when they came to me and said, it's dead. It's not going to work. Woodland Park's not going to give us approval. And we've had to deal with some stuff. And David's the guy that has to deal with all of, you know, I'm the one that's got the vision and he's got to deal with the provision and it's been hard on this man. And there's times that we butt heads, but this guy, I told him tonight, I said, you know what? We would not have gotten this done without him. And I just want him to share with you what this means. Thanks, Andrew. I thought we were going to do a duet. (laughs) (laughs) No way. Well, Proverbs 3.26. David, Proverbs 3.26 is your verse. You got it? Look it up. That's right. She'll keep that foot from being taken. I saw that one. I said... That's, anyway, I'm, I'm attracted here. Uh, you can tell uh, when we butt heads who got the worst end of the deal. <laughs> I've rubbed all the hair off the top of his head. <laughs> I had a full head of hair when we started. <laughs> no, really. It's, uh, it's just, um, you know, we were visiting uh, in uh, Phoenix with our partners, and some lady asked a question. We were doing a Q&A, and some lady said, Andrew, how in the world do you and David get along? You're so different. <laughs> well, we just come from two different worlds, but we serve the same king. Yeah, amen. I can't do what he does. I haven't got a clue. In fact, I just and I be can't a, do what he does. I'd just be a blubbering fool up here. I mean, I'd just be crying all the time. <laughs> and I just can't do what he does. And... Andrew doesn't do what I do. That's not what he's called to do, but God put us together. And um, it's Amen. been my pleasure to serve him since uh, 1987. I've been serving Andrew, so I'm a blessed man. Amen. I'm a blessed man. And my wife, Gail, who's home watching. Hi, sweetheart. 
Uh, she's a blessed lady. We're a team. We do it together. Amen. But uh, we're just blessed. But, you know, Andrew and I are talking about <clears throat> what a blessing this is. And, and, and honestly, you know, if you want to really see the power of the, the word thank you, uh, go back to Luke and just read that little story about Jesus healing ten lepers and talking to the one that came back. And you'll see the power of the word thank you. And ever since I've read that, I really, when we say thank you, it means a whole lot more than just thank you. Because we understand the spiritual power of that word thank you. And really, from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you for this building. Because, man, I'm telling you, $23 million came into this ministry on top of our normal giving. And our normal giving, uh, it costs us $2 million a month just to run the ministry. So we're talking about $23 million on top of that since 2009. In August of 2009, we started with $100. And here we stand today, totally debt-free, paid for. That's a God miracle. It is. $23 million was just from partners, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. The $23 million is what the partners gave us. Now, we had $9 million that we had set aside that we were saving towards another project that uh, Andrew was going to do, and is still going to do. But that helped us, and then Karis Bible College uh, put in a million two of their money towards it. But I just can't thank you folks who planted your seed in this ground enough, because your reward is eternal. You know, I've I've thought a lot um, in my life, especially since I've came here to this ministry, about seed. When I was a little boy, we were really poor, and and we lived by a garden. And we had a big garden, and... uh, I remember watching my daddy dig those holes and quartering a potato and dropping it in the hole and covering it up. Any of you ever done that? And then you go out there at harvest time and you dig that hill up. And man, you might get 10, 15 big old Idaho bakers. Not them little spuds you all would get around here. (laughs) I'm talking Idaho. You know, 18-wheelers carry them across. Or he'd put a few little kernels of corn in the ground, and then we'd just pick ear after ear of corn. And the tomatoes, you'd put a few little seeds of tomato in the ground, and then we'd have so many tomatoes, we'd just have to give them to all the neighbors. And I really got a vision of what giving's all about and how it's, it's just abundance. You put in a little, and God just gives you tons. And so for those of you that helped us, I'm telling you, just visualize what you see right here. Every day, five days a week, every day for four hours, those are the people that you invested in. You know, when we had our opening here, our first rally, Andrew and I both commented that, you know, really, this is just brick and mortar, sheetrock, nice beams, and it wouldn't be anything if the students weren't here, but they're here. Amen. And this is a great facility that uh, God has provided. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts, really. Thank you so much. And uh, my commercial, this is just the first building. We've got another one to go. So keep them <laughs> cards and letters coming, please. Amen. <laughs> I need another $25 million, so <laughs> keep it coming. Thank Man, you very much, Andrew. Gary, praise the Lord. <laughs> Yep, that's the financial guy brought that up, amen. But you know, it is true. 
So we've got approximately 30 months until we plan on being through with that other building. And I figured that uh, we need around $900,000 a month, I think, to, in order to have that one paid for. And so praise God. And that's above our 2 million that we have to have to make everything work. So we got plenty of room. If anybody gives less than 25 million, I can spend it quickly. (laughs) Amen. If you give more than that, you might have to give me a year or two and I'll have it all spent. Let's turn over to Daniel chapter four. I want to continue to talk about how to be a success. And of course, I've been trying to redefine what success is. And we've talked about that. I believe success is just knowing God and then following what he tells you to do in your life. And we spent a lot of time this morning. I was talking about small people who are big successes. And we mentioned some people like Jochebed, Moses' uh, mother and the little servant girl and people like this who caused great things to happen. And yet they were in themselves by the world standards insignificant. And I really believe that there's times that we just are made to feel like we're nobody special when the truth is, if you know God and if you love God, just like I gave that testimony about the woman who was in Huntsville prison and was in solitary confinement and she couldn't touch anybody, but she found out she could bless God. And she was loving God and blessing God and feeling God's power. Did you know that woman on death row was a success? She was a success. She found out what life was all about. And I really believe that when we stand before God, there's going to be people like that who shine brighter than all of the people who have all of the fame and the recognition. We need to redefine that. I want to talk to you about Nebuchadnezzar. And some of you may not have realized this, but look at the first few verses of Daniel chapter four. In verse one, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all of the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought towards me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You know what this is saying? Nebuchadnezzar wrote Daniel chapter four. It's the only chapter in the Bible written by a pagan Gentile king. Nebuchadnezzar was a world conqueror. At the time, he was the greatest power on the face of the earth. He conquered Jerusalem four different times and he extended mercy to them and allowed them to stay there, allowed the kings to stay there. And every single time the kings would rebel against him. Finally, he took Zedekiah who had rebelled against him and caught him and took his sons and killed both of his sons in front of him and then poked out both of Nebuchadnezzar's, I I mean, um, uh, who was I saying? Zechariah's eyes and took him to Babylon so that that would be the last thing he ever saw and he died in captivity. And this is an aside, but more, this is just powerful when you study the word that this was prophesied by Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived during the days of Zechariah. And he told him, you submit to the uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Don't rebel at him. God has used him to execute judgment upon this nation. And because Zechariah wouldn't do it, Ezekiel prophesied to him and said, because you have rebelled at the word of the Lord, you will be taken to a foreign land, but your eyes will not see it. 
What a prophecy. How's that going to happen? If you're going to be taken to a foreign land, how do you get there without your eyes seeing it? Turned out that he had his eyes poked out and he went and lived and died in Babylon, but he never saw it just exactly the way it was prophesied. And Nebuchadnezzar is, is the guy that did this. He, he just destroyed uh, Jerusalem. And over in, I think it's, uh, what would this be? Jeremiah 27, 6. Ryan, if you'd put that up there, Jeremiah 27, 6. Here's what Jeremiah prophesied. He was also during the days of Zechariah. And he said, now have I given all of these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant and the beast of the field. Have I given unto him also to serve him? God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Now, he wasn't necessarily a believer in God. He worshiped many gods. Matter of fact, he mentions that right here in this uh, passage of scripture that we're going to read. Nebuchadnezzar is also the guy who made this huge statue of gold that was taller than the ceiling of this thing and made people bow down to it. And if they didn't bow down to it, they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up. And he got so furious, he threw them into the furnace to kill them. And instead of them being burned, he saw them loosed. And there was a fourth person in the fire. And he said, the fourth person looked like the son of God. And so he called to them and they came out and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And he made a proclamation that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is the true God. That's that same Nebuchadnezzar. And he had known about God. And the scripture here says that God used him to execute his wrath upon the Israelites and stuff. But Nebuchadnezzar was not serving God. He had all of these things. He's an example of what I've been talking about. That in the world standard, he was the mightiest man on the face of the earth. Can you even relate to that? Did you know that the president of the United States, we are definitely one of the superpowers in this world. But I don't think that the president of the United States could exercise the same degree of control and power as what Nebuchadnezzar said. Nebuchadnezzar was absolute, I mean, dictator. He could kill a person at their whim. Whatever he wanted came to pass. And uh, even though it's, you know, our president's trying to act that way, he can't do it all yet. Amen. And he is not the most powerful man. I mean, the president of the United States, he is nothing compared to what Nebuchadnezzar was. Nebuchadnezzar had it all. And I don't know if any of you have ever studied, but you know, one of the seven wonders of the world were the hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon was awesome. I mean, it was, we don't have anything that rivals it today. The way it was just, I mean, it was amazing the way it was built and everything. And these hanging gardens in Babylon were so beautiful. It was a wonder of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar is the guy who did all of that. And yet here he is writing a chapter in the Bible and Daniel recorded this. And I tell you, this is one of the most powerful passages in scripture. And it illustrates exactly what I've been talking about. This guy had it all except a relationship with God. And because of that, I don't care how powerful you are and I don't care how long you last in that situation. The end of a person that doesn't have a powerful relationship with God is failure. And there's no exceptions to that. Most of the time you will fail in this life. You won't be able to handle the stuff that the world uh, throws at you and you'll crash and burn somewhere along the way and you'll eventually 
come to your knees and say, Jesus, help me. And you'll have to bow the knee. But if you don't do it in this life, uh, Philippians chapter two says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And then all of the things that we've put our trust in and that made us feel so uh, powerful and so good about ourselves, they're going to be nothing. You know, I often say this concerning offerings, but people put so much money into your house and into your car and into our jewels and into all of the things that we have. And we want retirement and we want all of these kind of things. And there is a balance here because God wants you to take care of yourself and your family. But I mean, most people, that's where their security is. But everything, this building is going to be destroyed someday. God's going to create a new heaven and an earth. And everything, everything, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's made out of steel, if it's made out of diamonds, everything physical that we have as an asset that makes us feel secure is going to be gone someday. And the only thing that's going to last is our commitment to the Lord and what we've done in the name of the Lord. And it's amazing how people miss this and they just are short-term thinkers. They think only about this life and they aren't laying up treasure in heaven. They're just laying up treasure on this earth where moss and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal and recession happens and taxes happens and Obamacare happens and whatever else. And I guarantee you, you ought to think more about eternity than you do about just these temporary things. So... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had all of these things, but because he didn't have a relationship with God, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the greatest failures recorded in the Bible. I want you to just read some of this because this is not common to most people. They don't really study the word and they don't keep things like this, but I'm praying that tonight you'll get this vision of one of the mightiest men who ever lived in history, who conquered the known world. He conquered everybody that was worth conquering. He was the ruler of the world. And look what happened to him because he didn't put a priority on his relationship with God. In verse four, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they may, uh, might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me. If you were to read this, Daniel had already interpreted one of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams where he saw this huge uh, statue that had a head of gold and then uh, brass and iron and clay and things like this. And, and uh, Daniel interpreted it. And so he had already had uh, interaction with Nebuchadnezzar. And actually that's the reason that Neber, Nebuchadnezzar took this prophecy that Daniel gave him in chapter two, and he built this golden image in chapter three, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to it and were thrown into the fiery furnace. So he had some interaction with Daniel. He had already seen the power of God in Daniel, but he didn't submit to God. And he just took this vision that he had and made this image of gold of himself and made everybody worship it. So he certainly didn't respond to the Lord the way that he should, but he knew that Daniel was a man of God. And so he called Daniel in and, um, 
in verse 8, it says, But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. That's Nebuchadnezzar writing. So at this time, he wasn't a God worshiper, a true God. He was worshiping this other God. And in whom the spirit of the holy God, and in whom was the, is the spirit of the holy gods, and before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, Master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have dreamed in the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and the height thereof was great. The tree was great and strong and was strong and the height thereof reached unto the heavens and the sight thereof to the ends of the earth. The leaves thereof were fair and the fruit thereof much and in it was uh, meat for all. And the beast of the field, um, it's in the, in the fold of my Bible, had a shadow under it and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed and behold a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, cut down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. Uh, the matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of man and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as in all the wise men of my kingdom are not, uh, are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. In verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. The king, said, uh, the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Now, before I get into the interpretation, let me just say that this was real wisdom on Daniel's part. Because he turned this, this is a terrible dream and the interpretation of it is terrible. And yet he said, this is a dream to all of the people who hate you and uh, to show that you are going to persevere and win over this thing. Boy, he put a spin on this that was important. And you know what? When you're dealing with people, I've had people before that the Lord has told me things about them that you shouldn't tell anybody. I mean, it's terrible things. And yet you can couch it in a way that, you know what? God loves you. And because God loves you so much, here's what God is saying to you. And just by putting it in that framework, it makes a difference. I was talking to a person this week 
who saw some things in our ministry that needed to change. And they were all good suggestions. There's nothing wrong with any of it. But you know what? They never said a nice thing about us. All they did was see the things that need to change. And uh, Donna, my assistant, when she went home, she says, I was just wondering, man, are we just totally missing it? And you know, I went home thinking, and the Lord spoke to me and he says, it's just like this building. Most people, 99% of the people who walk into this building and look at it and think, man, wow, this is awesome. Praise God for what he's doing. But some people will walk in and say, man, look at this plywood over here. Look at this. And they'll see a, something on the wall and they'll see a baseboard that's not finished and a place in the carpet that, you know, bubbled up and we hadn't got it fixed yet. And there's some people that'll just come in and look at everything rotten. And that's the way some people are. They just say these things. I'm telling you, if you are going to give somebody a rebuke, start by saying, you know what? God loves you so much. He's going to tell you the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and then cut their legs off. Amen. (laughs) So this is what, this is what Daniel did right here. Amen. So in verse 20, he said, the tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached into the heaven and the sight thereof to all of the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much and in in it was meat for all under which the beast of the field dwelt and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, you the tree down and destroy it, uh, yet leave the stump and the roots thereof in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let the portion and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most high, which is come upon my Lord, the king, that they shall drive thee from man and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over thee till thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of man and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy unto the poor, if that it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Man, that's pretty powerful. He's saying you're going to be like an animal. You're going to go and you're going to eat grass. And, you know, I've read some uh, commentaries on this and there are secular accounts of Nebuchadnezzar's wife who was present. And it does say right here that everybody told him, man, follow Daniel's example and, and start living a godly life and humble yourself before God so that these things won't come on you. And his wife was among one of those And when all of this came to pass, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, based on this prophecy, kept anybody from taking over Nebuchadnezzar's throne for seven years while he went stark raving mad 
and he went out and ate grass and became like an animal. And his wife kept the throne together and waited on him until this prophecy was fulfilled. That's amazing. That's in a secular history account. And it's all because of what's recorded right here. So it goes on to say uh, in verse 28, it says, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he's the one that's writing this. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? In other words, he was looking at all he had and he was thinking, man, am I a success? Look what I have done. And look at this in verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from man, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from man and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. He became stark raven mad. He ate grass. The man who was the mightiest man on the face of the earth went out and started eating grass. His hair grew to where he had like fur. He didn't wear clothes. He was just covered with hair. His fingernails became like claws on an animal. And it says in verse 34, at the end of the days, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. I wish I had time to teach on that. But this is not talking about he raised his head. This is the same thing that it says in Mark 6, 41, when Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up. That means more than raising his head. The word anabalepo means that he recovered sight or he saw twice. He looked past what was obvious and he saw into the spiritual realm. That word means to see twice. And this is the exact same thing. He saw beyond the physical. He finally realized that it wasn't him who had given him this kingdom and done all of this, that God's the one that controls these things. He looked up uh, with his eyes into heaven and my understanding returned unto me and I blessed the most high and I praise and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generations. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth uh, according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. An excellent majesty was added unto me. You know, this is so miraculous that this happened in the first place. But then the fact that when he finally, his wisdom returned, they just accepted him back is nearly unbelievable. If you could imagine one of our politicians or a president or something just going stark raving mad, being in an insane asylum for seven years, and then all of a sudden he just comes back to himself and everybody reelects him and puts him back in. 
It had never happened. This is amazing. And I believe, I attribute all of this to Daniel and the fact that he had been through all of these people. They had seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that worshiped God. They honored God. They knew that these men were so godly that they trusted the word that was spoken by them and they were waiting on this prophecy to be fulfilled. It was because of the word of God that they had this confidence that this was actually God that had caused it. And now Nebuchadnezzar was ready to reign again. And so he, his kingdom was established. All of his counselors came back unto him and there was added unto him excellent majesty. In other words, his majesty even increased after this. And look at this next verse. This is to me, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What a understatement. (laughs) Here's Nebuchadnezzar saying, look what I've done. Look what the might of my hand has done. And he was just thinking, man, I am awesome. And he became an animal for seven years. Didn't wear clothes, ate grass. Was stark, raven, mad, maniac. And he says, those who walk in pride, God is able to abase. What an understatement. You know, praise God. We live in a covenant today that God is never gonna do this to any of us. This was, this was not a blessing. It was a judgment. It was a punishment upon him. And Jesus bore our punishment And God's not going to ever do this to us. But you know, the principle is still true. That if we think that all of the things that we have come by our might, we are just as wrong as what Nebuchadnezzar is. And it would be a shame that we would have to go through what Nebuchadnezzar went through to come to the end of ourself and finally recognize that God's the one who rules in heaven. You know, most people honestly struggle to believe that God is the one who's given them what they've got. They think, man, I worked hard for this. Some of you work 40, 60 hours a week and stuff. And when you get your paycheck, you don't just go up and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're so kind. You say, I earned this. This is mine. I deserve every bit of this and more. And you know what? You feel like this is mine. I produce this. This is my sweat. But you know what? You aren't the one that caused you to be born in this nation at the most prosperous time in the history of this nation. You aren't the one that caused all of this freedom that allows us to do what we do. You aren't the one that gave you your talents. You may have developed them. You may have gone to school. You may have practiced and honed your skills But you know what? God just gives people skill. Like Daniel can sit up here and play the piano on a song he's never heard before. I'm not sure I could ever learn to do that. I think that there's an anointing on his life to do what he's doing. I believe that God anoints different people. There are some of you that are artists. There are some of you that are architects. There are some of you that have all of these different mechanical things. I've got a son that he can just do anything. And since he was a little kid, he could fix anything. It was just an anointing on his life. He's developed it, but you know what? God gives these different things. You don't recognize it, but God's the one that gave you your ability. God's the one that gave you your smarts. All the Lord's have to do is just stir the chemicals in your brain just a little bit. And you could lick your stamps off the drool that's coming off your chin, amen. You'd be in a straitjacket someplace. 
You aren't the one that gave you your smarts. You aren't the one that gave you your health. You aren't the one that gave you your freedom. Whether you know it or not, God is the source of everything. And it's so easy for us, especially as men, to think, I did this. I'm a self-made man. If you're a self-made man, you're a failure waiting to happen. I don't care how prosperous you are. You are exactly like Nebuchadnezzar, not realizing that God is the one that raised him up. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 6, he was God's servant. God used him. God's the one that promoted him to get his will accomplished. And again, praise God, God's not going to judge us with things the way that Nebuchadnezzar did. But in the Old Testament, God did that. God's the one that promoted him. And whether you know it or not, God is the source of everything. God's the one that made things happen. People, it's not our great wisdom and ability doing it. And the sooner you learn that, and the sooner you humble yourself and say, Father, it's all you. It's all about you. Anything good in my life, it comes from you. The sooner you learn that and you run up this white flag and you surrender and say, God, I'm yours. And what do you want me to do? The sooner you learn that, the more successful you'll be. And that's what success is, is just realizing that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. I think that's Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It's not by might, not by power. It's not your ability. It's God's spirit. It's what's God telling you to do. Every one of us was made for a specific purpose. You know, I tried playing sports and I was never the worst and I was never the best. I was just mediocre in nearly everything I did. I remember our divisional high school uh, championship. I sent, I was the center and I centered the ball on a punt over the guy's head, went into the end zone. They recovered and we lost by two points. I was the, I was hated by everybody in my high school, all 2,200 people. And, uh, you know what? I just, I would do good, but it seems like I could always mess up. I was never the best at anything. And stuff, but you know what? God created me a certain way to do what I'm doing. I'm not anointed to do all these other things. I can't do what David Hardesty does. David Hardesty can't do what I do. All of us are just created, and you've got one chance to reach your full potential. And like I said last night, if you're one of these people that's so talented that you can just do anything, I pity you. Because that's easy for you then to trust in yourself and just go out and do things on your own. It's a blessing to not be good at anything. Because that makes you say, oh God, what is your purpose for my life? And it makes you depend on God. And then when God shows you a direction, it'll make you go that way. I was talking to some guys today and we were talking about, you know, God's will for their life. And I said, if you feel like that you can fulfill what God called you to do, then you hadn't found God's will for your life. Some of you are thinking, what does that mean? That means that we got a big God. That means that God will always call you to do something that is beyond yourself, something bigger than you. And if you feel like you can fulfill God's will for your life and you got it under control and God, I can handle it from here, then you hadn't tapped into God's will for you because God will always call you to something that's beyond yourself to make you trust in him, to make you say, God, this is bigger than me. I can't do it. 
I can't do what God's called me to do. I don't have the wisdom and the ability, but you know what? I'm just hanging on to God and God's giving me steps one by one and things are working. I'm telling you, it, you if you find God's will for your life, he's going he's gonna to call you to do the very thing that you feel totally inadequate to do. That is a real revelation from God. And there are some of you that maybe God has put something in your heart and you desire to do it, but you've just, you've, you've uh, taken that off of the list because oh, I could never do that. You know what? God called me to speak to millions and millions of people every day. I'm talking in front of them. And I was an introvert. Couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to him. God called me to do something that I, this would have literally killed me to talk in front of this many people. And God called me to do this. And now I don't ever worry about it. You know, I was up in Lima, Ohio one time. And there was about 600 people in a church. We'd been seeing blind eyes open and man, they came and they had all of the windows of the church open and people standing outside so that they could hear. And they were passing people in through the windows so that they could get healed. And I was sitting on the stage and they were introducing me and I was listening to my introduction and I was just so at peace, I fell asleep <laughs> while they were introducing me. And I hadn't even thought about what I was going to say or what I was going to preach on. I never, it never even entered my mind. And while they were introducing me, I fell asleep. And when I started to fall over, it jerked me up and I stood up and taught and we saw miracles happen. And I just thought to myself, I said, man, have I ever been delivered and you know what? God called me to do what I can't do. And it's supernatural. I know some of you may not feel that way. You might feel like it's still kind of pitiful, but it's less pitiful than it used to be. Amen. And I was in Mobile, Alabama one time and I made the mistake. I'd been running six miles a day and I went on a three day fast and I just kept running six miles a day. And I was in Mobile and it was over a hundred degrees and with the humidity, I didn't know that that affected you. And I tried to run at the same pace that I'd been running here and it nearly killed me. And I got up on a Sunday morning and started preaching and I couldn't see past the front row. I just near, everything was a fog and I had, uh, I couldn't stand up. I had just depleted myself and I had to stand behind the pulpit like this and hold on because I couldn't stand up. And I don't even have a clue what I said. And it just rolled out of me. It was powerful. And I actually went and bought my own tape so I could listen to it. <laughs> because I wondered, what did I say? And I was preaching by revelation. And I mean, amazing things were coming out of me. And I thought, God, it's you. God has given me a gift and an anointing that allows me to go beyond myself. This is not what I am comfortable with. I'm saying that God will call you to do something that is beyond you. If you feel like, God, I can handle it. You had never tapped into what God's telling you to do. You're thinking too small. God calls you to do things that are beyond yourself to let you know that it's not you doing it. It's him living through you. It's like Paul said, it's not me, but it's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God. And man, I, I love you. I'm saying these things to help you. I think that this should be encouraging. This, this shouldn't be a downer. This ought to be an encouragement to you. But I'm saying that there are many of you 
that if you would be honest, you couldn't look at your life and say, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not doing by myself, but it's Christ in me. It's only by the grace of God, by his power, by what he's speaking to me that is enabling me to do what I'm doing. And every one of us ought to feel that way. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar see came to. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had done all of this. It was his might. It was his great wisdom that produced all of this stuff. And man, it is much better to learn this lesson at Nebuchadnezzar's expense rather than you having to go through it. Now, God's not going to do to you what he did to Nebuchadnezzar, but you know what? Life will do something similar to you. It will bring you to the end of yourself. It will make you feel like you've just totally blown it. And really, that's a good place to be. If you feel like, man, I just, I just quit. I give up. I can't do it. You win. That's, a, that's the perfect person for God to take. True success isn't measured in all of these external things. Nebuchadnezzar had all of that, and that wasn't success. When he really succeeded, and when it was added unto him, excellent majesty, and when he prospered more than he ever did is when he finally humbled himself and acknowledged God as the source and began to give praise and honor to God. And when he did that is when that, he, he ended a success. He started out a failure. In the eyes of man, he started out a great success, but in the eyes of God, he was a failure. And he succeeded when he humbled himself and began to turn his life over to God. And I'm just telling you, this is what it's all about. You know, Jesus, if you look at Jesus, today we, of course, have 2,000 years of history to see what has happened. And we have the book of Revelation and we can see him with his eyes like fire and his voice like thunder and we can see his majesty and picture him sitting on the throne. But did you know when Jesus was here on this earth, he didn't have, you know, all of these things. He says, I don't even have a house to live in. Not that he was dirt poor, but he was an itinerant preacher and he didn't have a house to live in. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He was ridiculed by other people. And when he was crucified, it looked like he was weak. It looked like his enemies were strong. You know, one time he was preaching and, and right after he had fed the 5,000, he took his disciples and went over the Sea of Galilee and went into a desert place. And the people were so impacted by his ministry that they ran around the sea and found him in this desert place. He told his disciples, let's depart into a desert place and rest a while. They needed to be away from the multitude and just rest and recharge. And yet when they got there, the people had run around the Sea of Galilee and there were all of these hurting people and Jesus just kept ministering to them. And these people who ran around, they wanted to come and make him king. You can read this in the sixth chapter of the book of John and they wanted to make him king. And he says, you aren't seeking me because you really love me. He says, you're seeking me because your bellies are full. I fed you yesterday and you think, man, we could use his power to get all of our needs met and he could help us to overcome the Romans. And they were just looking at how Jesus could benefit them and they weren't truly submitted unto him. It wasn't about him and about personal relationship with him and receiving from him. They wanted what he could do for them. And far too often that's true of all of us. You know, the full gospel message really lends itself to selfishness. 
Because man, we talk about that God will heal you, that God will prosper you, God will put your marriage back together. In some way, some of the denominational churches that don't believe God does miracles today, they actually have a stronger commitment to the Lord because they don't believe God will do anything for them. They just believe you're saved and stuck and you have to just, you know, tread water until you die. And when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And the only reason they commit themselves is to the Lord is just so that they can receive their forgiveness and come to know the Lord. But with spirit filled people, man, there's lots of times that, man, we're going to believe God for prosperity and we're believing for healing. And I've heard people before say that if God doesn't heal me, I'll never serve him again. If he doesn't prosper me, I'll never serve him. I do believe it's God's will to prosper us and heal us and do all of this. But you know what? I'll serve God. I don't care if he does heal me. I'm not in it for what I can get. Praise God. That's gravy. That's icing on the cake to find out that God's a good God and wants to bless us. But he's God and I'm not. He's my creator and it's my rightful duty. It's my reasonable service. It's the normal Christian duty to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, whether I get anything out of it or not. And so Jesus recognized that these people were only seeking him because their belly was full. And he said, you seek me only because I, you know, filled your belly and stuff. And so he began to start telling them, you need to start seeking the manna that's from above and not this stuff here on the earth. And so they thought, oh, well, he just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Now he's talking about manna. And they thought, man, Jesus caused manna to come down and we'll believe. They were wanting another miracle. They were wanting to see something else. And he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the manna from God. And boy, they looked at him and uh, he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And these people were put off thinking he's talking about cannibalism. They had no spiritual understanding whatsoever. And you know, with our mindset today, people will sit there and if somebody takes the slightest offense, preachers will fall all over themselves, apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I don't, I didn't mean to use the wrong terminology. We got to be politically correct. We can't say people are ignorant. We have to say that they don't understand that they just have lack of knowledge. When the truth is you're just as dumb as a hammer. Amen. And, but we, we don't want to offend anybody. And I'm sorry. You know, one time I told somebody that there was this little boy that was retarded. And I had a woman write in and I mean, she was violent with me. How dare you use a derogatory term and all of this stuff. And I said, that's what the parent told me. That's what they called it. Maybe we've changed it. I don't keep up with stuff and maybe you aren't supposed to say retarded today. Maybe you're supposed to say mentally challenged. I don't know, but I didn't mean anything by it. And you know what? But there's just people that they're going to take an offense. There's people that get mad. I told a woman one time that if you will call into us, I'll give you a free tape. And this woman wrote in so mad and she threatened to sue us. And she says, I'm upset because you said if I dial 719-635-1111, you'd give me a free tape. And she says, I don't have an 11 on my phone and I'm going to sue you (laughs) for false advertising. I didn't even respond to that when I thought I'm not going to dignify that by an answer, but there's people that get offended over everything. And you know what? Most people are just, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean this. If Jesus would have been a modern day preacher, he would, Oh, oh, don't misunderstand. I'm making a spiritual application and he had tried to explain it, but you know what Jesus did? 
He just turned and he says, I'm telling you that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. He didn't clarify it. He made it worse. He just heaped it on. And there was thousands of people. There was 5,000 people that had been fed the day before. And we don't know how many of them followed him around, but there was thousands of them. And he got so strong that every one of them left. Let's just suppose that there was 5,000 and all 5,000 of them turned from him after seeing this great miracle, after seeing all of the things that he did, but because he wouldn't just give them what they want. And he was sitting here preaching absolute surrender and saying, you need to be committed to me, not because of what I can do, but because I am your savior. And it ought to be about a personal relationship. They ran from him. And did you know if, let's just suppose that this was me. Let's say that we had a place that seated 5,000 people and I was preaching and man, they were just coming by the droves. And then I started preaching and all of a sudden something I say offends people. And all of a sudden they take an offense and all 5,000 leave. And all I have left is my staff sitting here on the front row. Did you know most people would say, isn't that a shame what happened to Andrew? And at one time he was preaching the word. People were coming. People were being set free. It was awesome. But now look at it. Did you hear a whole congregation, 5,000 people got up and left. We would talk about that as a failure. But you know what? That's exactly what God wanted Jesus to do. He said, I only do what I see my father do. Most people evaluate success based only on these external things. But there's times that God wants you to tell people the truth. Paul said in Galatians chapter four, verse 16, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? We need to tell people the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. You know, I don't like criticism any more than the other person, but long time ago, God showed me a number of things about how much he loved me and that began to set me free from what people thought about me. But then I still didn't like to see people get upset at me and stuff. And the Lord spoke to me one time And he says, if you don't tell a person the truth because you're afraid of what their response is, then you've already rejected the truth for them. You didn't even give them the honor of telling them the truth and allowing them to reject it. You rejected it for them. And he says, don't you ever do that. And so, you know what? That set me free. And now I'll tell a person the truth. And I still don't enjoy seeing people rejected, but you know what? I honor you enough that I'll tell you the truth and give you the right to reject it on your own. I'm not going to reject it for you by fear of what you'll think. And so Jesus, instead of sitting here and turning to his disciples and said, man, 5,000 people left. I was a success yesterday when I fed the 5,000 and now I'm a failure Did you know Jesus was probably more of a success on the day that the 5,000 left him than he was at any other time because he had put relationship with his father and speaking the truth ahead of the acclaim and the recognition of man. And I believe that his father was more proud of him at that moment than he was at nearly any other because man, all he was after was God. I tell you, we evaluate success so carnally, just looking on these external things. You're a success 
if your relationship with God is paramount and if you're doing what He tells you to do and if you say what He tells you to say and it causes 5,000 people to reject you, you're an absolute success. If you do what God tells you to do and it causes your family to reject you, you are an absolute success. If you do what God tells you to do and it causes people at work to roll their eyes at you and make fun of you and talk about you, you're an absolute success. You can't evaluate it based on other people. And sadly, I think that even the church has lost sight of this and the church will compromise in order to get numbers. I've been in many, 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 many churches that they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and casting out devils and miracles. They believe it. The pastor believes it, but he wouldn't say it because there's people that would be offended. There's people that don't understand. And so they'll, they'll just take them into a side room and do it off to the side so that nobody will be offended by them speaking in tongues or, or something like this. You know what that is? That's people that it's not about their personal relationship with God. I can guarantee you Jesus and Paul and all these people never had a separate room where they could hide people and nobody would be offended. They didn't have a seeker-friendly service. Man, Jesus had cast the demons out right in front of everybody. He'd talk and say, tell Herod that fox to do this. And they said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you said? And he said, every plant that my father hasn't planted is going to be rooted up. Let them be offended. It's the blind leading the blind. They're both going to fall into the ditch. It was only what pleased his father. He says, I do only what I see my father do. I do only what pleases him. And he knew that his father was pleased because he had done the right thing, even though men rejected him And I believe Jesus felt total acceptance from his father. And because of that, I don't believe Jesus was crying and complaining. Matter of fact, he turned around to his staff that was left, his disciples. And he says, will you leave also? I believe it was what we would say today is right. There's the door. Do you want to leave? Amen. Is this too hard for you? I'm not going to force you to stay. You're free to go. You know what that, I'm telling you, brothers, most of us don't recognize it, but the way we live and are so susceptible to the pressures and the opinions of other people, and we've got to live up to this standard and make so much money and live in this kind of a house before we can feel like a success and stuff. I'm telling you, it's hurting our relationship with God. We're putting the emphasis on all of the wrong things. You know, I'm not against people having super nice. I've got friends they live in multi-million dollar houses and there's nothing wrong with that. God's blessed them. Man, they've put lots of time into the ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. But I live in a house that I built for $60,000. There's many of you, I'd say probably many of you, most of you maybe even live in a nicer house than I live in. But I love the house I live in. I drive a Ford Escape. I could drive a Rolls Royce if I want it, but I don't want it. A Rolls Royce wouldn't go up my driveway. I have to have four-wheel drive to get up my driveway in the summer. You know what? I'm content with what I've got. But I'm saying many people, they just wouldn't do that. They've got to live up. They've got to compare themselves with other people and measure up to these standards. And I'm telling you, you you have misdefined success. Success is just knowing God and loving God. 
Look at this passage in Jeremiah chapter 9. I am coming to a close in the name of Jesus. Look in Jeremiah chapter 9. And in verse 23, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We ought to find our total joy and contentment and delight in Jesus and not in all of the things that knowing Jesus produces. And that's not to say that knowing Jesus won't cause prosperity because God does want you to prosper. It's not to say that it won't produce health, that it won't produce uh, acceptance with people and things because knowing Jesus is the most valuable thing you'll ever do. And I guarantee you, you are the light of the world. And if he can really shine his light through you, he'll put you on a candlestick and he will use you to glorify his name. So I'm not saying that these other things don't come. But according to this verse and everything we've been saying, your whole life ought to be bound up in just knowing God. And if you glory, glory in the fact that you understand and know Jesus. Boil it down to what's, you know, what's special about you. I had somebody ask me something similar to that today. I forgot what it was. But anyway, I told him, I, he says, I, I don't know how he said it. But anyway, I said, you know what's good about me? I know Jesus. That's what my life is all about. I know Jesus and I'm trying to help other people come to know Jesus in this way. It's not about all that he'll do for you. Everything that, you know, anything external out here can be taken from you. But what you have on the inside, nobody can take that from you. Nobody can rent space in your head without you giving them the lease. They can't dominate your heart. You know, we had a fire in 2002, the Hayman fire burned 144,000 acres. This property right here was evacuated for over two weeks and it destroyed hundreds of homes and killed people. And I live in a place that was just about four or five miles from where it started. It burned within one mile of my house and they evacuated us from our house. And so Jamie and I went and got our important papers and pictures, things, you know, that couldn't be replaced. And all of our neighbors, they had U-Hauls out there. They were loading up everything because, I mean, it was just, it was zero containment when they evacuated us. And uh, we thought about evacuating all of our stuff, and we just decided, no, we're going to believe God. And so we stood there, and I prayed, and I took authority, and I commanded uh, the angels of God to be loose, that no plague is coming nigh my dwelling. And we spoke the word of God and we believed that our place would be protected. And as we were leaving, G Jamie said, she says, you know what? I agree with your prayer and I believe our place is protected. But she says, you know what? It's just stuff. And she says, if we lost everything, we had fun getting it and I'd have fun getting it back. And she says, it's just stuff. And you've never seen my house, but Jamie's got a lot of stuff. 
Every spot on the wall is taken, things up and down the stairs. She decorates to the max at Christmas time. You know, the only people that see it is my family, my two boys and my granddaughter come out. We live so far out in the sticks. I tell people, if you can't go skinny dipping in your spa, you live too close to your neighbors. (laughs) Nobody can see my house. Nobody comes to my house. Nobody can make it up the drive to my house. We don't have any visitors and Jamie decorates our house to the nines. Man, she spends days and weeks decorating for nobody but me and our kids. She just goes over the top. She's awesome. And she has all of this stuff. And yet Jamie says, it's just stuff. And I tell you, we've got stuff from all over the world where I've been. And I brought back souvenirs and things that people have given me. And you know, it's important to us, but it's just stuff. That stuff's not important. I love that attitude. I just love that about Jamie. Most women would be crying. I met people at the meetings at the fire station as they were giving us updates and people were just crying and talking about our house, our dream house. This is a house I designed. We had it built. I drew the plans for it. It's our dream home. It's not big, it's not fancy, but it's ours and it's exactly what we wanted. And you know what? It's just stuff. That's not where my heart is. Man, we we were happy as we were evacuated for two weeks and I had to go on a trip and minister and left Jamie here by herself to deal with all this stuff. And you know what? We were just happy and God protected us. You can't even see the burn from our house. Everything's just fine. But you know what? It's just stuff. And that's the way you need to hold everything loosely. There are some of you that, again, God's speaking to your heart about coming to Bible college or maybe it's about doing something else and yet you're afraid because you've got this little bit of security and you're afraid to let it go. I'm telling you, you shouldn't glory in those kind of things. You shouldn't glory in the things that you possess and stuff. It's all about knowing God. And if you can be absolutely certain that God is telling you to do something, then just do it. If it hair lips the devil, do it. Amen. If it looks like certain death, just do it. You know, when God called me, the very first thing after I really came alive to God, March the 23rd, 1968, the very first thing that he told me was quit school. And everybody in my family had been to college. Everybody in my family, that education was it. They were all instructors. I would be the first one to fail in this area. And my mother hit the roof. She didn't talk to me for over two weeks. And when I finally got her to talk, she just started crying. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. And, it, and I was threatened to be kicked out of my church because it was a highbrow Baptist church. The Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary were the people that filled our pulpit. And they were all the intellectuals, the highbrows. And they came and told me, you can't be a Christian and claim that God told you to quit school. Plus all of that stuff, I lost $350 a month from my dad's social security as long as I stayed in school. So it was a bad decision financially and I immediately got drafted and sent to Vietnam. There were so many reasons not to quit school. It made no sense to anybody, but that's what God told me to do and it could have cost me my life. And you know what? It's one of the best decisions I ever made. I had no idea. I even told people, I said, if I go to Vietnam and get killed, that's just fine. It wasn't a problem. I didn't care. I was so in love with the Lord 
and what he had done in my life, that if that was God's will for me to go over there and die defending my country, I was just fine. It's no problem. I actually prayed to die while I was over there because I figured that's the only way I could really experience that joy and stuff was just to go to heaven. And you know what? I made these decisions that in the natural, there was no reason for it. But I was glorying in the Lord. I found out, I found God. I know that God loves me. I discovered God in a way that I guarantee I'd give up my life. I'd give anything for Jesus and all the things he's done for me. And it was the best decision I've ever made. It turned my life in a totally different direction. I was a dyed-in-the-wool Baptist when I went to Vietnam, and I didn't mean to change. I didn't even know I was supposed to change. But after being in Vietnam for 13 months and studying the Word 15 hours a day, when I got back home, I wasn't a Baptist anymore, and I didn't intend it. It just happened. And they asked me to leave, and it started my path on a different direction, and it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I'm telling you, you we, we need to put the priority on just knowing God and loving Him and holding everything else loosely. Your house is not going to last. Your retirement... You know, I've had people come to me and say, I believe God's speaking to me about coming to Bible college, but you know, I'm only three years away from retirement and man, I could have so much more money if I just wait another three years. So here's my plan. I'm going to just... Wait, now I tell him, I said, well, I understand. I'm sure God didn't know you were only three years away from retirement. He just got a little eager. You just do it your way. Follow your wisdom. Don't think that God spoke to you and told you what to do. You do it your way. I'm sure that your way is a lot better than God's. And usually people like uh, all of a sudden they realize that, you know what, if God's speaking to you now about doing something, just do it. God can give you much more than your retirement. I'm not saying that you ignore your retirement and stuff, but I'm saying if God is telling you to do something, just do it. Don't lean under your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Just do what God tells you to do. If it upsets everybody, if it costs you everything you've got, just do it. This is so simple, you got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. You know, this whole men's conference has been about just putting God first, understanding how much God loves you. God loves you so much. He's got a better plan for your life than you would ever have for your life. Matter of fact, I can guarantee you in probably 90% or more of the problems you've had in your life was because you did it your way. You and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and that's what's caused all of your problems. I'm telling you, doing it God's way is the best thing. It would be the best thing you could ever do. I read uh, Jeremiah 9.23, but Jeremiah 10.23 says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God has given you the right and the privilege to run your life. He won't force his will on you. But to choose to do it your way is the wrong way. The right way is to recognize God. The way of man isn't in himself. I'm not smart enough to run my own life. You made me to be codependent upon you and I want to be dependent. I want to say that without you, I'm nothing. And you just trust in God. 
Brothers, you know, there's a million situations uh, represented right here. And I can't even begin to deal with all of them. But I'm telling you that if you would just commit yourself to knowing God, God loves you more than you love you. God loves you more than you love your wife. He loves you, your children more than you love them. He loves everything about you more than you love it. And if you would totally submit yourself to God, God would show you how to turn that marriage around. God would show you how to touch those children and to make it work. Man, I've come through the fire with my kids and I tell you, God's turned it around and we have a good relationship. And I mean, that was absolutely impossible a few years ago. And God will make things work. God is smarter than you. God will run your life better than you will run your life. I can guarantee it. Amen. And I've already led you in a prayer last night. I believe that you've made the commitment, but this ought to just be a reinforcement to you that now you've made the commitment that you're going to be a living sacrifice and you're going to let God call the shots. And you, you have to follow through with that every day of your life. Amen. And you have to learn how to be dependent. This is counterintuitive in the natural realm. We want to lean unto our own understanding. But you need to recognize that God has to actually absolutely call the shots. And if you'll do that to the world system, you're going to be weak. But I tell you, it takes more strength to trust in God and to follow Him than it does to lean under your own understanding. It'll be, the, it'll be the strongest, toughest thing you've ever done in your life to defer and not follow your own leading and just go to bed figuring, well, God, you're up all night anyway. I'll let you worry about it. Amen. I'm going to sleep. This is your problem. That's the best decision you can make. Amen. Amen. Father, I just pray for all of us here tonight and I'm asking that we would be able to take take um, a lesson, Father, from Nebuchadnezzar, from all of these things that we've talked about. And that, Father, we wouldn't have to go through the things that Nebuchadnezzar went through. We wouldn't have to crash and burn and be absolutely in nothing but utter destruction all around us before we recognize that we've made a mess of our lives. Father, I'm praying that you would use this men's advance, this, these messages that people could come to a place that they recognize that if they aren't having a vibrant relationship with you, if they don't really know you and are more excited about you than they are all of these other things, that they're just a mistake waiting to happen. They are just a failure waiting to happen. And Father, I pray that we would learn this lesson through the word and through the expense of Nebuchadnezzar and other people and that we wouldn't have to experience these things ourselves. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will touch people's lives and turn us from this. And Father, we just thank you that you are such a good God, that you love us and that you want this relationship with us, that you've never forced it on a one of us, but that you are drawing us right now by your love and by your compassion. And I pray that men all over, anybody watching this by live streaming, I'm praying that people all over the world, wherever, would just right now be expressing that, God, we want to know you. We want to be, if we're going to glory, we're going to glory in the fact that we understand and know you, not in all of our accomplishments. Father, forgive us for glorying in ourselves 
Forgive us for taking credit for the things that you have done in our life. And Father, help us to get beyond ourselves and to take the limits off and to do things without leaning on our own understanding. We just make a commitment to follow you and to let you be God and believe that as you change us, that it'll change our marriages, it'll change our family, it'll change our work, it'll change everything in our life and those around us. Father, we thank you for that. And we receive this. And we believe that this is just uh, a word from you that is going to literally change the direction of people's lives in here, that we will never be the same, that we will go home different. And Father, we thank you for that. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Y'all agree? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So is Mark here? Uh, do we have any prayer ministers here? You know what I'd like to do? I know that we, we saw a lot of miracles happen last night and a lot of people ministered too, but it's possible that there's people here tonight who didn't get prayer last night. And it's also possible that some of you last night got prayer and you just want someone to agree with you again. Maybe you've seen a partial manifestation and you're ready for the whole thing. I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come down here. These are students that have been through a training. They have been taught how to lay hands on the sick and we've been seeing blind eyes open, deaf ears open. These are people that have been sitting under the word of God. And I mean, they're just chomping at the bits to lay hands on somebody and be a blessing. And so I want to offer that if you need prayer for anything, just please feel free to come forward right now and we'll pray with you. It doesn't have to be physical healing. It could be your marriage. Maybe you took the message and realized that, boy, because you've been doing things your own way, you've made a major mess and you just want someone to pray with you about wisdom, about how to get out of this thing and start doing it God's way. If you need prayer, come forward right now and let one of our guys pray with you. And uh, Gary, do we have people, I mean, do we have snacks and things downstairs? So we've still got the snacks downstairs and you're welcome to stay and visit. And we'll be back in the morning at what, seven for breakfast. And the service starts at 8.30. So breakfast is from seven to 8.30. If you need prayer for anything, just come forward right now and let one of our mighty men lay hands on you and agree with you. Praise God, you're dealing